Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is owning the customer experience with my friend, Larry Gordon. How's it going, Larry? It's going great this morning, Joe. Good morning. Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm really glad to have you here. So please introduce yourself and your company and where you're at today. Great. I'm Larry Gordon. And I run go-to-market for Mtech Inc. Mtech is a solution provider. We're an IT services company. We do digital product engineering, and I'm in New Jersey. Very nice. So, so what? What again? What sort of technology? Ah, go slow, because you know I don't understand it all. All right. So <laughs> we build stuff. We build stuff with software, and we do custom jobs for a lot of logistics companies and transportation companies. So we build. A lot of customer-facing systems, uh, logistics and supply chain systems, and we have a thousand engineers who, who every day toil away building wow. stuff. <laughs> yeah, there's more engineers than brokers now. I swear to God, this is, the business is changing quick. <laughs> it's. I think the engineers and the and the are running the world, and I think software is eating the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So. When you say you did, you said digital applications, is that what you said? Digital product engineering. So, you know, I've been, I've been in the tech business, in the services business for 25 years. And we used to just build applications for enterprises that ran stuff that they were already doing. We called it paving the cow path. So they have an HR manual process, you know, you automate that. Right. And these big, you know, big right. application, banking applications. Oh, it saved a lot of money. Saved a lot of money. Uh, made life, life easier for people. But now people are building digital products, platforms. You know, that's like a Zillow or a Netflix. You know, people are building these things to make money, to provide right. services to customers. So right. that's a whole different game when it's customer-facing and revenue-producing because like for example you're building your platform and it's due in three months if it's a month late that's a month of revenue that your company right. you know doesn't get right well i'm looking forward to diving into that but first tell us a little bit about you where'd you grow up where'd you go to school give us a what kind of kid were you oh i, I grew up in suburban new jersey it's a very traditional suburban new jersey middle class upbringing my dad was an engineer he's a physicist he worked for the phone company you know, grew up on a cul-de-sac, all, you know, all the neighbors either work for the phone company or, you know, work for a pharma company, <laughs> building stuff, you know, trying to do the right thing and make a couple bucks. So it's interesting you mentioned the phone company. So I always say this on my podcast. When I was a kid, the phone was like the least sexy, least interesting thing in your house. All of them were the same. Your neighbor's phone was the same as yours and nobody cared, right? You, you got your phone from the phone company. I don't even, I don't know that there was any sort of market for it. you. Just think of the phone company, they either drop it off, or you pick it up. And now we got to a place and give credit to the techies where people will sleep in the streets to, to get the new phone. And, yeah. and I always think we made that an interesting, sexy business by 
the customer experience, which we're going to talk about today. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know, again, you, you you try and convince your kids that the phone used to be uninteresting. Well, try and convince your adult friends who can't put it down. I I've been to a few parties lately where they're like, "What are we teenagers? Put those damn phones down." Yeah, <laughs> they're can't, can't live without them. But yeah. it's that experience that we're all we're all connected to. I mean, we loved the phone before when it was on the wall, but it was not interesting. It was the most commodity. It was a commodity at. It's the definition of a commodity. <laughs> so, so where'd you go to? Where'd you go to college? I went to Duke University. Oh for my, wow! For my undergraduate, I went to the University of Colorado for my graduate studies. All those schools on the East Coast, and you go down south a little bit, huh? Yeah, they re they recruited me a little bit, not for athletics, but I was a musician actually, and they oh, needed. Really? What'd you they, play? I played the trumpet in the wind oh, symphony. Oh, really? And uh, so they needed they needed a trumpet player in the wind symphony, and uh, you know I'm, I'm a proud New Jersey. We have great schools. I went to public high school. You know, I, I they made sure I got good grades. My parents made sure I got good grades to go to my SATs. So it was it was a good place to go. Kind of just. Far enough from home. So, would you would you study at Duke? I studied history. I wanted history and political science was very big back then, and uh, basically, I wanted to be Secretary of State. So, I figured I'd go to Duke, and you know, I'll become Secretary of State. It turns out I had to go work for a living. Yeah, given the given the tone of uh, politics, you're better off where you're at. I am much. I am so much better off. <laughs> so, what'd you go to school in Colorado for? I furthered my studies in economics and history. Colorado was is a great place. Was a great place to go to school. I, I actually had this. It's just my interest. It's what I'm really interested in. I'm interested in mining and engineering and the idea of you build towns around engineering achievements. And I wanted to study the economics behind that. You know how people invest in it, how people build these enduring institutions. And there was a a Duke guy who'd gone to be a professor. At Colorado, so my my mentors suggested I go study with him, and, and it was a really nice place to go to school. So um, back in those days, what we used to do a lot, and this is what I wrote my thesis on, we used to count census data because you know the U.S. government would make the census data available, so you could draw all sorts of conclusions about well, here are groups of people, here's their census background, where they came from, where they were born, their education levels, yep. family size, etc., where they live. And so this is 1983, and, and IBM had just introduced the personal computer, the PC. They were like 5000 bucks or something. So my, my, my dad oh, was I remember. I remember. I remember. The first one was 4500 bucks that I bought in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, like, I don't know. What are the equivalent of a calculator nowadays, right? They gave them, <laughs> gave them away for free. But you could run a Lotus 123 spreadsheet on it. So I loaded all the census data into the spreadsheet. And did analysis, and they're like, "Holy cow, this is really something pretty cool." Let's, you know, write a book on this. So I got into computers very early, as usual, from a very kind of practical standpoint. You know, use them to reduce toil, and you know. Well, I don't know if insights. you're, I don't know if you're already connected to him, but Jason Miller over, at, he's a professor at Michigan State University in supply chain. Do you know him? I don't know him, but I'll write oh, the name down. So, so Jason is a freak about, in a good way, a freak about government data. He takes government data and crunches it and crunches it, and then he publishes stuff on his LinkedIn status. By the way, guys, if you're not That's following Jason Miller from Michigan State University, 
please do. He's been on my podcast a few times. Brilliant, brilliant man with the uh, number crunching. But he he always is looking at census data, unemployment data, durable goods, <laughs> you, you name yeah. it. And, and he always says it's an under underappreciated data source, which is the government. The government has really good data, and he says it's trustworthy. So, yep. and he's always the uh, he's always and it's funny because I'm not the only one who says this. Lots of people on my podcast go, "Oh my God, yeah, Jason, Jason's the man." So. Anyway, I'll make sure I introduce you. So um, what was your first gig out of school? My first gig out of school was working for a big software company in New York. At that time, we were the largest privately held software company. And it was a great training ground. It started the same year as Microsoft and Oracle. It's called Information Builders. It was uh, just recently purchased by Tipco. And uh, we learned all about all aspects of the software industry. And a great group of people. And it was it was just a great place to start a career so in the beginning you were kind of in the back back as you said the back offices of business helping banks become faster better cheaper but more not not so much customer facing stuff but your customer uh, has operations that you made more efficient more effective right yes and so you did that and then you got data and you analyzed it you said you have so many customers with so many transactions on Wednesdays or they made more transactions on Thursdays, et cetera. So analysis is part of it. So when did you join MTech? I joined MTech just six months ago. I what? worked for Cog. I was just excited. And also why? <laughs> yeah, sure. So, you know, after working for a big software company, what I noticed was every time we sold software, it went out with a professional services wrapper of three times the value. So everything needed professional services. And these guys were very careful about, hey, we're not just going to put technology into your company. We're going to help you use it better and help you give a, get a better experience out of it. So I was very intrigued by the services industry, which is flexible solutions and, you know, kind of nimble. You, you, you can't you don't just sell what it is that your product does. You sell what the customer needs and you can change it. So I went to work for Cognizant, which was a little company in New Jersey across the river, you know, a few hundred people, you know, some, some engineers in <laughs> India, a couple of guys in America. And it's like, we want to build custom solutions for banks and whoever. And I'm like, that's kind of interesting. You know, if you ever remember the movie, it's an old movie, Tin Men, right? With Richard Dreyfuss. Oh, yeah. and, and he sees the, the Volkswagen going by and he's driving his big Cadillac. And he says, wait a second, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> so I joined there and helped grow that to about 250,000 people now. So it was, a, it was a big, big company, you know, global implications, et cetera. Because, you know, people needed help with technology and technology changed. And uh, I worked for Capgemini Group, uh, French-based customers all over the world after that. Started a couple of services companies doing very niche things. The last one I started and sold we uh, did cloud engineering. We had uh, a small group of engineers that helped people put applications on Amazon Web Services or Microsoft Azure. And I joined MTech because what I noticed was customers really still very much need the front end. The front end is the customer facing part, not just, you know, stuff running efficiently on in right. US, but, you know, they need a great graphical user interface, a great user experience, a great way to integrate data you know it was the customer processes and people and 
ways of doing things and interacting with their customers that were much more interesting right. and much much higher impact and revenue than than just the back end stuff. Yep, and it's interesting when you talk about the difference between the back end stuff and the customer facing stuff that you're you know the you you I know you guys work with Zillow, so if you're working with Zillow, you can't say hey, this isn't going to be particularly a nice interface or anything, and a website's not going to be nice, but you go ahead and use it. They're like, no. <laughs> they, they have the option. They're customers, right? Back in the day, I remember uh, working in engineering, and there was all these mainframes, and they would say, they would teach us, you know, the, the black screens, little green letters, and, they, and it was painful to work in those systems. And then you'd have to go to the basement of Ford Motor Company, and you'd have to use the space bar to move around. And people used to say you know your career has gone off <laughs> off on the wrong path when you find yourself in the green screens in those black <laughs> black screens with the green and i mean it was a, it was the beginning but that's not good enough anymore you when we're talking about a customer using if i'm going to go somewhere and if i'm a technology i mean if i'm a logistics company i say to my customer hey cool you just do this it's not easy it's not pretty but just go ahead and do it no no way <laughs> No way. Get and, out. Joe, and Joe, you're so on it because I know you're a lean guy. I'm a lean process guy. And if something doesn't work, it's not good enough to say, well, it's their fault or that's what the product does. Or, you know, it's no, you have to fix it and make it right. better and do what the customer wants. And you know what's funny? Um, and I'm sure you remember this. There was a, t I worked in engineering and automotive and we were always using technology, a new app for this or that. And I remember when computers would go down or this would, anytime th things were broken, you would call the IT department and they would give you attitude. They would go, it's probably a user error. <laughs> Which right. is, that was always their thing. It's because you guys weren't trained because you don't use it right. All the, and that was fine because we were all bad. <laughs> we, were the, we, were, we weren't the customer, right? That isn't the way it works now. No now way. we're all these logistics companies saying, we got this cool app or we got this cool website. All you do is this. It can't be <laughs> this condescending. Well, if you took the training, <laughs> if you used it right, that doesn't work. And there are, there's a thousand engineers in our company who just live for making changes to the application based on customer feedback. And, you know, there's, there's right. no getting in line. There's right. Like, we will deploy that tomorrow. Right. So let's talk a little bit about this. Again, we're talking about the, the topic today is owning the customer experience. And when we talk about owning the customer experience, increasingly that means technology. If you're a, uh, you know, all of us are consumers, so we use the consumer tech, the Facebook or DoorDash or Lyft. Uh, we go on Amazon, and we know how easy it is to order from Amazon or eBay. And we think that I want that ex same experience. When I go to the office, I can't leave my consumer experience behind. I know how it works. And it's funny, every logistics company, listen, anyone in logistics will say this, the Amazon effect, because... What we have is when you're talking to a customer or a prospect, they say, you know, I ordered toothpaste from Amazon and it came to, came to my front porch within 24 hours and I got a, and I got a beep from my phone and I'm shipping stuff that's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars and I don't know where it's at. Or so, so all of a sudden the expectations are like, Hey, I want the, I want the Amazon experience except I want you to bring it to blank, whatever I'm doing. 
Yeah, and it's po- and it's possible. I mean, customers should have the ability to place orders, find the status of shipments, what's in the shipment, where is it, what's it costing me, is there a delay, how's the delay going to be resolved? You know, whether it's a mixture of people and customer service, because people, you know, in in our customer base, they know a lot. And, you know, if it's a matter of getting them on the phone or having them answer, great, facilitate that. Or if it could be automated, automate it. But make sure it's what, you know, the customer wants in terms of, you know, their experience and their order history and what they've spent, et cetera. And you have to, you know, you have to use good engineering principles to build that kind of stuff. Right. So a few things that when we were prepping, we went all over the place. But uh, I said, I told you since since you're one of the uh, guys who can educate me, I'm going to ask you a lot of dumb questions. So we talked a little bit about the difference between the custom market versus the off the shelf. So t- talk to that. Great. So older companies, legacy companies have a specific way of doing something that meets their customer needs that people have worked there probably a while and know what you know customer want what customers want and why customers are doing things and that's valuable information and so i'm just talking about the legacy bucket right now don't lose that and if you buy uh, an erp a package in fleet management or inventory warehouse management or customer relation management those things are good and they're essentially data stores and ways of manipulating data. But don't always ask the people to sacrifice what they've learned about when dealing with customers and the customer relationship, because that's the way the technology wants it to be done. Right. Integrate that or build customer interfaces and applications and products that reflects what you've learned about your particular customer set and what they want to do. And that's a custom solution. That's not an off the shelf solution. Don't, don't have to throw away your old stuff. In fact, don't, they're doing a lot of good things, but build a product around it that your customers want to use more and buy more. So that's why the custom solution and application development and product development is important because it's a product that you're selling to your customers. They're able to order. So, Larry, we're talking about customized market versus off the shelf. And so give us some of your thoughts on that. Yeah. So the legacy market is, you know, very interesting in terms of building things that, you know, integrate the existing systems and the existing processes and helping companies work better with their customers. The the new disruptive players are really interesting. They're all about technology. They may not own warehouses or trucks. They own a management system. And their bread and butter, how they make their living every day, is customers doing transactions on their product. And it's got to be easy to use and secure and scalable. Yep. So, you know, it's interesting. We've got to we've got to we've got to somehow bring the the old tech forward. Right. And so, you know, maybe it's uh, getting a new interface on it. But there's a, a whole bunch of ent- interesting things we talked about offline, like uh, home delivery. Uh, we're just in the infancy of that. We're seeing shipped and Instacart, but soon we're going to have um, logistics companies managing the, those processes because you, we're already hearing companies say, you know, the, the big grocers saying, hey, we're not making the money we need to make on this, and we're losing those customer relationships. I have a customer relationship with shipped. I don't think the grocery store that they pick my food up from 
likes the idea that Shipt now owns that relationship <laughs> because, and I, I mentioned this when we're prepping, I went to return something that was delivered by Shipt to the grocery store. And they said, what's your phone number? And I, and I gave it to them. And that, that's in their system. I've been shopping there for years. And they said, oh, well, we don't have, we don't have that order that you get, got yesterday. I was thinking, Ship does. <laughs> so, yeah. so those who owns the customer relationship it has the opportunity to make the money. So I don't think the retailers are going to like the idea that somebody created an app. It's more than an app. Created a company of technologists and then said, now we own this relationship. Yeah, they, they certainly don't want to go there. And we see logistics companies, we see retailers, we see manufacturers realizing they might be losing the customer relationship and wanting to regain that with platforms of their own. Plus, they can analyze the customer data. Right. right. And, and I think we saw that with Nike. Uh, Nike no longer sells through Amazon. They want the direct customer relationship. They don't want it. They don't want, they want to be able to say, this is the way when you're buying Nike shoes, this is the way it happens. I think all birds is that way. So we're seeing a whole bunch of companies say, yeah, the platforms are fine, but I want my, I, I want that customer relationship. I want to deliver. And it's always got to be, again, Amazon's created this, this high bar that we all have to reach, whether we're, cons you know, the Nikes of the world have to do it, but so do us logistics and transportation and warehousing guys. The expectations are set. And, and also, I mean, it's about what, co you know, what companies want, you know, I, I, I get it. Companies want to protect revenue and drive revenue, but, but it's really about what customers want. <laughs> right. It's more important. And, and the customer says, I'm a Nike customer. You know, I need to know that, you know, what size I am because. Right you know, or what right. colors I prefer or that, you know, I play tennis as opposed to soccer or whatever. Well, also, you know, it's interesting. I, I was just at the shoe store, a, a real store, not, a, not, not online. And I always buy my shoes there by two <laughs> running shoes, although I don't run in them anymore. <laughs> but I walk a lot. And uh, when I went to buy them, they, I bought my last 10 pairs of shoes there. So they said, oh, you got a $25 credit for buying all these shoes from us. Nike wants to do that for their customer. It's hard to do that through Amazon, I'm sure. So you have to you have to sometimes or get your own tech. Or or pick airlines. You know, I don't use a flight. I think I have a credit. You know, Expedia doesn't have that for me. Right. United Airlines knows. And I they better know and they better give me my money. We we were just talking about that at hotels.com and some of those other apps. For a while, you're like, that's the best way to get a good deal on a hotel, right? And after a while, the hotel companies have said, you know, we just spent a few billion dollars on these buildings. And I know you got a cool app there, but we really should be making the lion's share of the money on this. We aren't going to give you the best prices. <laughs> the best prices are on our app. And, and that's what's happened over the past five years, Joe, that legacy, I call them legacy companies because they've invested in bricks and mortar right. and they've invested in machines. They're coming to us and saying, we want not necessarily, a customer relationship management system, which is fine, but it's really a product platform where we're going to sell right. and manage what it is that our customers want. Right. And you know what we're seeing, we always kind of t tend to look at our world today as the way it, it's it's always been. So uh, I've been, I think it was um, Rick Watson was on my podcast. He's an e-commerce guy. And he was saying that for a while, Target was managed. Amazon managed Target's fulfillment on stuff. Right. And now you look and go, yeah, 
it was a good starting point, but at some point Target said, you know, we can't have that. We, they're kind of, they're our competition for one, (laughs) but we have to, we have to figure it out. So I think there's always this first step, which is we'll use this platform. We'll use this off the shelf. And I think though, as the companies grow and get more sophisticated, they say, Larry, you and your team make me a customized solution. <laughs> it's smart. That's the way I've done it in the past. I, I think you're spot on there. It's really good insight. It's like, let's get it off the ground. Let's see if we could do it. Let's just get a minimum viable product. Right. And, and then make it a, uh, you know, a disruptor and, and something other people can't emulate so quickly. Yep. And I think we, we've talked about this is also that we're in a place uh, where there's freight tech haves and have nots. Companies that don't have the technology are, first off, they don't have that great customer experience that people have. For sure, they have it on the consumer side. So they know what is possible and they're not getting it working with your company. It's noticeable. Also, companies that are using artificial intelligence or machine learning or RP, robotic process automation, are automating a lot of processes and reducing the cost of the load, reducing the cost of the transaction. And so it's not just the customer experience, it's also the the cost of it. So mm-hmm. if my costs are lower than your costs and my experience is better than your experience, guess what? <laughs> you're not gonna be around for very long. You're you're a half, you know. I, I think I <laughs> exactly. told this, this story before, you know, the classic tech sell, and it's not wrong, is you know, things change. Sometimes asteroids hit and you can either be a mammal or a dinosaur. You have to evolve. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, and, and that asteroid is in the air right now. There are yeah. companies that are bringing fantastic tech in this space. I, I know you work with some of them. Can yeah. you mention any of them or is that not appropriate at this one minute? I, I can <laughs> mention uh, Mastery. Oh, and wow. The UPS Famous in the space. <laughs> yeah. So, um, UPS too? Yep. Yeah, some of the UPS companies. Yep. Yeah. Oh, wow. um, so you guys work with the big boys. Yeah. And, but, but my, I guess my little bit of wisdom is to say, you know, it, it, you don't have to have a ton of money and you don't have to spend a lot of money and you don't have to do boil the ocean transformations. Just do something that the customers care about to start with. And that can right. be pretty cost effective because there's little logistics companies, big logistics companies, ships, airlines, trucking, you know, right. Do something. Right. And I think, you said something also when we were prepping that I thought was interesting. And actually, you said it for probably the first five or 10 minutes we talked, you kept talking about the people end of this. Yeah. You didn't talk at all about technology. And you said, you know, there's there's this sense, and maybe this is the way tech was done in the past. You know, it was kind of foisted upon people like, hey, Larry, this is the new system. You have to use it. But we aren't doing that even on the back end anymore. But it's especially important now that we're talking about owning the customer experience that you actually start with consultants and talk to users, right? Yeah, and it's a little bit of lean training. And, you know, I worked in factory and, uh, you know, I saw what tech, what we were trying to do with tech, which was a better customer experience and a better work experience for the workers. But it was done somewhat awkwardly without the use of consultants to say, you know, Here's how we're going to transition to this and keep the knowledge that the people have and keep the people and help the people do their jobs better. Because the, right. what the people know and the, and the reason 
the workers do what they do is because they understood what the customer wanted. And they, they'd worked with the, some of those customers for 25 years. Right. This is how the customer wanted it. They don't want it how the rigid technology system <laughs> says to do it. So it was about, my shorthand for it is, you know, the tool works for us. We don't work for the tool. Right. You know, and, and you right. have to have that mindset to say, we're going to help customers more with this. And we're not just telling stories. We're going to understand what you do and help you do your job better. Right. And again, in, in, in the olden days, when you were automating the back offices, you could go in and say, effective immediately, you guys are all going to use Larry's brand new technology and you're going to like it or it's a condition of your employment. <laughs> Either do it or get out. You don't have that luxury anymore. Now you're like, hey, we really, really have to deliver something that the customer says, oh my God, that was fantastic. It has to be that experience where you go, this is exactly as I want it to be perfect. I've been asking for this. And again, they are asking now because they saw, they saw the way Facebook would have done it. Or they saw the way Amazon did it. And they say, that's what I want. And it's interesting. The guys over Flexport, they used to call, I don't know if they still do, but they were just on my podcast and they called Facebook for freight forwarding. And if you look at their system, it, it kind of looks like Facebook when you're on it. And that's pretty slick for a, for companies that traditionally didn't have any good tech to have this experience where you're like, oh, there's the planes in the air, there's the ships on the water, and I'm clicking on graphic. <laughs> Graphics are beautiful, and you're like, this is cool. It's you know, kind of fun. <laughs> we have a thousand engineers toiling day and night, you know, US and India, and they're engineers, and the consultants understand what the customers are looking for. So the customer can say, I want it to look like this, and the engineers will say, Oh, that's because it's done using the React tool for front-end design right. instead of the Angular tool. They, they'll do either, but if you want it to look like that, use React. That would be my counsel to you. And we can do this, and we can do this, and we can do this. You choose, Mr. Customer. And then that works its way from front-end to back-end through, oh, if you wanted to do that and look like this, you know, build your CI/CD pipeline this way. CI/CD pipeline is a way to move software from, you know, the original guys coding it to something on the cloud that people can actually use. Right. If you want your security to behave like this, use this tool instead of that tool. And, you know, the engineers have to collaborate with the consultants and with the customers because the customers can get what they want. It's just a bit of interpretation along the way. Yeah. So you mentioned the cloud. So again, this is uh, educating some non-tech people like me. So in the past, and again, I'll, I may all say it this way. In the olden days, you would get, somebody would give you, you'd have a server in your building somewhere and they would get these CDs and you would you would put them in and you could see all the bright lights on your server and you knew your computer was talking to that computer, to that server and it would do all the computing. Now we don't have all those servers. Well, some people still have that and you call that on-premise, right? Mm-hmm. And that is opposed to the cloud. So rather than my computing being in a server down the hall or maybe even right next to me and needing constant new CDs for updates, <laughs> right now you techies have moved everything to the cloud. So that is where the t that is where the the processing is happening now, right? So there are still a lot of companies that I know big big shippers, first ones to use transportation management systems. They got those on-premise systems, and I know they've run millions of transactions through them. <laughs> right. And 
it's not easy to say, cool, we'll just move to the cloud on Wednesday. <laughs> no, don't. In fact, I would counsel, don't do it. You know, if, if you're kind of happy with the stability of the systems and the scalability of the systems, you could have on-prem cloud bringing the advantages of the cloud. You know, we work a lot with the Red Hat products. Red Hat manages your on-prem data center just like you would be managing an AWS or Azure data center. Now, it's interesting for a startup to say, oh, I don't have to buy a bunch of servers and a bunch of people to run the servers in order to get my new product out there. I can rent it from AWS or Microsoft Azure. And AWS is Amazon Web Services, right? Amazon Web Services. And that is, the, that is a, a version of the cloud, right? Yes. Amazon, of course, said, I'm a compute-intensive company 10 years ago, 15 years ago. You know what? I have these big data centers. and In fact, I got big data centers near cheap electricity. Why don't I rent them out? And, you know, you could do that, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build data centers all over the world. I'm going to rent them out. I'm going to rent out storage. And I'm going to rent out compute power. I'm going to rent out a bunch of tools. You could do your business intelligence analysis at it. Or charge people. You know, buy the drink. People love it. It's great. Which is good. And it turns out what you get when you do that is huge flexibility. So, there, so what it ch really changed was how software engineers build product. They build it with a lean process. They built some code in the morning. They deployed in the afternoon. If it breaks, they roll it back and fix it. If it works, it sticks and you have a new button on your, on your product or a different right. color or a plane flying or whatever it is you want. You can improve your product every single day, which is what lean is about, right? right. And with a certain set of tools, open source tools, you can, you can do that with your on-prem too. So that's when people say, you know what? I'll keep my existing infrastructure. I'll adopt new tools. And people call us to say, your guys know how to run the tools and make sure the cut, you know, my, my customers are getting the new things they want, but we're preserving some of the old things. Right. So, so the, the, the idea that, so I always had it in my mind that that on-premise was kind of a, it, well, it is a little bit of a dinosaur, but it's it's a dinosaur that you can bring to the modern age with interfaces and technology. I think it's an alligator, right? <laughs> it's a dinosaur that's still with us, right? Yeah, and, and strong. Exactly. Yeah, you don't want to mess with them, right? So, so we talked about again that there's there's an advantage. People, a lot of companies are going to start start with off the shelf technology, and then they then they morph to customize more of a customized as the market dictates. And again, that's going to be more and more important because we are, people like you are developing customer facing. So it, it, I can't say, hey, look at this cool experience I'm providing. And they go, oh, that's cool. Same experience that everyone else gets. I get it at my last company, right? Because it's, you bought it off the shelf, right? So, and then we're using again, AI, ML, some of these things to become much more cost-effective, much more efficient. And one of the other things I want to talk about was this idea of th these tech companies. There's a lot of investment in tech companies, and it seems as if the tech companies are starting to take over this business. And the consolidation that we're seeing, there's big companies that have been around for a long time. They buy tech because they, they have a tech budget. And then there's these VC-backed companies that are growing like a weed. It seems as if the only solution is you either upgrade to the newest technology 
or you get bought by one of those other companies. It's because we're having a big consolidation in this space right now. Yeah, that's always been the case in banking, in manufacturing, technology matters. And yeah, it, it used to be just money. Now and scale, size. Now it's now it's, it's scale, <laughs> it's size. It's it's kind of what your customers want out of how you're deploying technology. I mean, you might you know there's still space for the old-fashioned bookstore in niches you know for a certain clientele or shoe stores there is that but clearly the fast growth is coming from the technology driven ones that can glean insights or deliver things more efficiently or have a broader reach for customers and you have to have a predilection right to want to change you know and and you know it's it's about employees and you know is this is this something we can actually do Excellent. Excellent. So what I want to do, Larry, is I want to summarize a little bit and then I'll get your final thoughts on this. So today's topic again is own, owning the, the customer experience with my friend, Larry Gordon. And so we talked about, again, the difference between, well, first off, the first thing I think is noteworthy is technology in the olden days, not so long ago, was usually in the back office. So your company upgraded your software and really none of your customers particularly knew. In our business in logistics, when we're upgrading software, it's usually to improve that customer experience and usually to have a better customer experience, one that would rival Amazon's or exceed it, right? So that increasingly means I need customized solutions. It's not just something I can get off the shelf. Off the shelf's a good start, but it's not all the way there. And using stuff like AI and, uh, and ML to RPA, uh, to automate things, to make things go faster, to reduce the cost. Those are just becoming kind of like uh, table stakes. You, that's the ante. You have to have those things because your competition is using those things to reduce their cost. And you talked about these sophisticated interfaces that the customers want. And I think what we're getting to is a place where there's freight haves, the freight tech haves, and the freight tech have nots. We if you want to own the customer experience, chances are you're going to have to spend some money and maybe wrong way to say that you're going to need a tech partner, someone like you guys who can right. say, yes, we know how to do that and we can do it cost effectively. Right. And there's going to be some investment, but it doesn't have to be start over. It's just, hey, add this. Well, that's why we call start. product engineering. You know, we you make an investment. The idea behind an investment is you actually make money on it and you make more right. money than a different investment. Right. And, you know, it's interesting because you hear I, I interview a lot of different people on my podcast. The people who are starting to lead this space are tech companies that have a lot of engineers. Not everybody wants to invest a ton of money in engineers. It makes sense to also have sales guys. They they help. Right. Mm -hmm. It also helps mm -hmm. to have logistics guys. But if you don't want to hire tech guys at your own company, it makes sense to say, yeah, we don't have them in our company, but our partner has a ton right. of them. <laughs> right. And, so. you know, we have a long track record. We're really good at managing groups of engineers. We call them pods. You know, we right. basically supply pods of five or 10 engineers that offer a, we call it a full stack of services. So, yeah, so we're, we're actually really good this. at that. So what's your final thoughts on this owning the customer experience? You can make a lot of money at it in the logistics business. And it's a good time to be in the logistics business if you're a little ambitious and want to make those investments. You know, things are changing. So, you know, it's it, you get new new leaders and new winners.
Yep, we're definitely seeing that. We're seeing that all the time. And again, there's so many wide open spaces that the warehousing space, all of a sudden, it just seems wide open. The, the new business models there, this home delivery, again, that isn't always going to be done by gig economy. There's going to be logistics companies behind that. And I think what's going to be forefront in all these is tech. And, and there's just no way around it. And it's, just, and it's you know, doing doing good things for us, you know. Five years ago, oh, supply chain, sure, it's working great. It's in the news now. And if you're saying, right. well, I'm, I'm helping run the supply chain better, better, people are saying, well, thank you very much. That's a good thing. <laughs> right, right. So before you leave, Larry, tell us a little bit what's going on over at MTech. First off, who is your sweet spot and what do you do for them? So um, our sweet spot is mostly in the in the trucking industry, 3PLs and larger providers and you know, people who own trucks, people who are building tech to, you know, where you don't have to own trucks and warehouses. And, you know, we're building product for them. We're building product to help their customers, you know, manage their loads better, you know, in terms of efficiency of the load or even, you know, where is it? You know, if there's a delay, when does it get fixed? You know, how much is it costing me? What are my, you know, metrics around what, you know, where I can save money? So from, from pretty small, because, you know, the small ones are getting ambitious to pretty big, clearly. And, you know, we'll, we help with the business intelligence around that, the customer relationship management, building product for them, and a little bit of RPA, you know, automation. If, if the load is delivered, well, I put that in the system and that means, all right, the load's delivered. It's there. It's been accepted. Someone owes someone else some money. Why don't you go tell the bank to pay some money? You actually don't need people to do that. You can say, it's there. Please pay him. Right. You know, if I could join, jump in here, it's interesting. We're all using more and more automated, automated sh shipments are happening. And what's interesting is we have a real shortage of people. And so people are investing a little bit in tech to say, you know, when I invest in tech, I take, I free up my existing people to actually talk to other people. So I don't have them doing clerk work. I don't have them doing stuff that can easily be done by technology, wasting time and also hating their life, right? If my job is to go in and do a whole bunch of stuff that a, a, a computer can do better, set me free. Let me go analyze data and make recommendations to the customer. Let me call a customer and say, how's it going today? What more can we do for you as opposed to wasting my life? And again, we do have a labor shortage. People who are in clerk work are looking around and going, you know what? I can go anywhere. Why am I staying here? So you got to make those, you got you to make these jobs tech enabled where they say, my life is good here. That's why I'm staying. You know, you know, I kind of, you know, you, you learn things from jobs you worked. I worked in a factory who made electrical components and, and the, you know, 40 people in customer service, they didn't want to do data entry. That's what they've been right. doing for years. They love talking to the customers. Right. How much more material do you need? What kind of job are you using it for? Do you need that? Do you need this? Why are you doing that? I mean... These were their, they sit down at eight o'clock with donuts and coffee and work till 4.30. And this was their family they were talking to all around, right. you know, North America. That's what they like doing. Right. And that's what people appreciated. Right. Let robots do robot work and let humans be humans. Yeah. We're better at it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so how do we reach out? And t well, first off, before I forget, are you guys speaking at any conferences coming up? Are you attending any conferences? We do a lot of our own webinars. We have a ah, you got one upcoming. We'll put it in the show notes. Yes, we have a webinar November sixteenth. It's on a robotics operation center. So if you've built robots, we help manage them. 
we're robot wranglers. It turns out if you're, you're a pretty big company, you have a lot of bots who want to make sure they're doing their job. We, we just did one on mastering outs, outsourcing and product development through 2021 and 2022. They're all on our website, which is mtech.digital.com. You can find us. I'll, I'll put a I'll put a link to your your okay. website and some of those uh, webinars in the show notes, along with a, a link to your LinkedIn profile, so people can connect with you. That would be great. We're doing some logistics specific webinars as well, and um, all that I'll get you all that information. It's available on our website as well. Yeah. Are you guys attending conferences? Or are you kind of uh put those to the back burner for now? <laughs> <laughs> That's you know I had a bunch of conversations, and kind of the decision was, let's see what attendance looks like in Las Vegas and Orlando for a few months before committing to going somewhere. Because, you know, there there's there's health issues and, and cost issues, but a lot of it was, is anyone else going? You know? Right, <laughs> right. But we, I want to, it's just, <laughs> I, I want people to be there. Right, right. Well, you know, it's funny. We've also gotten pretty used to this uh, idea of like, you know, we're on Squadcast today, but we could yeah. be on Zoom and, you know, I'm, I'm doing webinars all the time and having phone calls and I look, I don't necessarily want to get on a plane right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting a little spoiled. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, you can get a lot done <laughs> with the right sort of people on Squadcast I keep thinking, how many times have I gotten on a plane, gone somewhere for a few meetings? And then came home and you go, it was like four hours of meeting and like a day and a half of traveling around. (laughs) Anyway, Larry, thank you so much. This is eye-opening. And again, I think our business is changing so quickly. It's nice to hear somebody uh, who sees it from a different perspective, the tech perspective, because I think what's interesting, we have people who are logistics and transportation and supply chain people, and then we have technology people. And I think what's happening more and more is we're merging where people yeah. like you who came from the tech side say, you know, I've been, a, I've been in a few warehouses, been in a few factories. I, I I've seen trucks. I know what's going on. And there's people like me who talk to people like you. So it's slowly, but surely it's getting in this block head of mine that <laughs> how the technology is impacting our space. Well, I, I really enjoyed our time together and I hope I was helpful. Yes, you definitely were. So thank you so much. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.